You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 125 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm very well. I'm excited. That's what I am. Why are you excited? Well, I'm very excited because I uh, put a little bit of a taser teaser up on social media last week to show that I was signing a contract. Oh, yes, I saw that. Well, yes, for a new AL Tate series, which yes. is coming your way in October 2017. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I know. Yahoo! Uh, so I'm very excited. I can't say too much about it just yet. Um you know, because I'm sworn to secrecy and I'd have to kill you all, which would be ugly. Mm. Um, so, but, you know, as soon as I can make some further details available, I will. Fantastic. Very exciting. It is very exciting. Very, very exciting. Well, I haven't been signing any contracts. Oh. I have been um, on planes, trains and automobiles. Well, actually not trains, but planes and automobiles. <laughs> you, do, you do tend to avoid a train where possible, don't I you? I do. Yes, I... you do. <laughs> and, but I'm not as scared of trains as I am of buses. Anyway, oh. yeah, I've got no idea how to catch them. But anyway, <laughs> um, I've been to Brisbane where I caught up on some sessions at the Brisbane Writers' Festival, but then also ran a one-day workshop in how to build your profile. So it was pretty fun. Brisbane's great. You know, the Brisbane wow. Festival is on. There's great weather when I was there anyway. And... Um, it's just a great atmosphere. So it was fun to be in Brisbane. I came Look back at you. late last night. You are such a traveller, a world traveller. Well, no, I don't know whether Brisbane's the world, but well, you know, you it's know. a nice place. Further, <laughs> further from that, from my house than, you know, Sydney. Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> Practically the world. <laughs> but we have a shout out actually this week to Marie McLean and you can find Marie at mariemclean.com. Now, she has left us a review on iTunes, so thank you, Marie, for that. And uh, it's quite a long review, and she talks about the fact that she was hooked from her first download and ended up binge listening while she was painting her daughter's bedroom. She said, your interviews and writing tips certainly made assembling a room full of IKEA furniture (laughs) more interesting. Goodness me. And so she also says that um, binge listening had a major benefit, hearing you both tell me to build my author platform several times every day <laughs> encouraged me to do just that. I, and she's enrolled in the online course, How to Build Your Author Platform, and has found it very useful. Yay. And she's saying, I'm nearing the end of the course and I find it amazing that this particular social media shy girl has now got her own website, learnt how to blog, and begun to plaster her smile all over Facebook. Nice. Fantastic. And, and going... I have to say, I do see Marie and I would never yes. have picked her as being social media shy. No, not at because all. Because she has certainly taken to it with gusto and I do love seeing her face pop up on my page in various other places. So hi, Marie. Very, hi, very Marie. nice. And thank you for the review. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for the review, Marie. And if anyone else has uh, 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, that would be awesome because it well, really makes our day and it really helps us in the rankings as well. So, nice. yeah. Thank you so much in advance if you're about to do that. Shall we move on to the world of writing and blogging and publishing this week? Let's do that, Valerie. All right. The first link that I have for you is actually from The Right Life. And it's an interesting post by Nicole Dika. And it's called, Can You Be a Successful Freelance Writer with a Pen Name? So in the post, she discusses whether it is, um, you know, something that you should do or not, whether you can have a pen name. So I thought we would discuss that, Al. First of all, have you written under a pen name? uh, well, obviously there's A.L. Tate, but hmm. I mean as a freelance writer, as in to magazines and, and, and publications, on, and online publications. Um, I think I did it once. I'm just trying to think. Yes, I think I did it once. I wrote a story for Elle magazine about a relationship that I was in at the time. Oh. And so I wrote the story under a pen name. I think it was Sharon Green, now yeah. that I think about it. And isn't that funny? I, how, why would I remember that? But anyway. Yes. Um, and it was a complete and utter failure because my brother oh. <laughs> was reading his girlfriend's L magazine at the oh. time and wrote and, and rang me to say, um, did you by any chance write Really? write an article in this month's L. And I said, what makes you say that? And he said, because I can tell it's your voice. Oh, yes. I can pick your voice. I, it's like He said, it's like you're reading it out to me. And I was like, so, you know, there are two things that we, one, I should probably be very glad that my writing voice is was so incredibly um, distinct. Word, distinct at that time, but also B, it was total failure. So I don't think I've ever done it again. And, you know, even to the point wow. where when I got married, um, I kept my maiden name and I did it because my byline was so established under the name Alison Tate yes. that I couldn't see how changing it at that point was going to be of any benefit to me. So yes. I'm still Alison Tate. Mm. Mm. There you go. Mm. So you did it because you didn't want people to recognise it was you. That was your reason. Yeah, it was just that one story. Um, and yeah. it wasn't even anything particularly, you know, anything. It was just something that I felt, you know, just given that it, was a, it wasn't just my story, it was someone else's as well. And I just sort of thought that I would do it that way just to keep, you know, keep, yeah, just, just for their benefit more than anything. Mm. But it was, well, it was a complete failure with my brother. But, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone else out there knew it was me. Yeah, right. Interesting. Mm. There you mm. go. Mm. Um, it's, well, what about you? What do you think? Um, well, I, I think you need to ask yourself the reason why. Mm. I think it's perfectly fine to have a pen name and I have also written under another name in the past uh, but I, but the editor has always known it's me. I've never tried to, you know, be anonymous as in oh, to no. the editor. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, definitely the editor has always known it's me. I've always been paid as me and they've completely understood the reasons why I wanted to write under a pen name, you know, but sometimes it was similar to like, you know, your reason. Mm. So, um, and I, 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 so I think it's perfectly fine too, as long as the editor knows the, you know, the, 
that it's you and also the real reason. So you had a valid reason. Um, my reasons were in the past they were kind of like, uh, because I wrote a lot for women's magazines, uh, I it sometimes got asked by the editor to write, you know, about certain things <laughs> and um, and explore certain things and I didn't want necessarily my name to be associated with that but I was perfectly happy to write and research the story. Yes. And I recall you once You just didn't also, want your mum to see it, right? Or kind of like that. Um, <laughs> after a while, I actually didn't – I started thinking like not caring and I remember writing one story for Cleo called In Bed With Four Men mm. and it was just a, you know, titillating title. Well, all, what they were, they were like the men – the dance from manpower or something like that and all we did was just shoot like in a bed but it wasn't a story about being actually in bed with them. Mm. Um, really Val? Yes. <laughs> and I remember my dad ringing up saying perhaps you shouldn't write those sorts of stories. Mm. But anyway um, and I also recall writing a few pieces for FHM back in the day yeah. and I didn't necessarily want to, you know, be known as the writer for FHM. So I wrote some of uh, those under a pen name. But um, I, there are some people who say to me they want to write under a pen name and I do get this, I don't know, every few months maybe, maybe twice a year at the most. That often, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Mm. At least twice a year. Um and they say they want to write under a pen name because they're actually wanting to write about something where there is a conflict of interest, uh, you know, or they're writing about their competitor. They want to reveal something about their competitor or, or you mm -hmm. know, or the competitor of their, you know, spouse's business or something. So I, that is not a good reason to write under a pen name, not just because it's under a pen name, but because you're actually writing about something you're emotional about or involved mm. in or have a conflict of interest in. So, I mean, and, and that's why it's not a good idea for you to write it at all, let alone under Well, that's pen what name. I was going to say. I think if you're considering wanting to be a freelance writer under a pen name, maybe you need to ask yourself, you know, if the stories that you want to write are actually stories you should be writing. Like yeah. it's, um, I, I think you've got to own it. I think if you're going to write stuff, you know, says Sharon Green, mm. I think you have to have to own it unless you've got a very, very good reason. And usually that reason will involve other people, I think, yeah. um, as to why you wouldn't do it. Yeah. Pretty much. Mm. So um, short answer is yes, you can be successful as a freelance writer with a pen name, but ask yourself the reasons why. And if the reasons why remotely border on having some kind of conflict of interest or, you know, involvement in something that you are ashamed about or, you know, whatever, I don't know. You something know. nefarious. Yeah, something nefarious, then um, yeah, mm. that's Think about it. Yeah. All together. Mm. All right. So let's move on to um, an oldie but a goodie. This is actually um, a couple of years old. However, I think it's really good because I, um, it's got some great tips in it. And of course, we'll put the link in the show notes, which you can find at so you want to be a writer.com.au. Now, this is from the Curtis Brown website in the UK, and it's mm -hmm. called Submission Tips from Curtis Brown Agents. And this is so useful because even though some of these things seem probably really obvious to some people, it's worthwhile being reminded of it. And it's also going to be news to some people as well. Um, uh, and a couple of them include, uh, <laughs> we don't take kindly to grammatical and spelling mistakes. Mm. Make sure you proofread your work before submitted it, submitting it. Because I am surprised sometimes at the number of writers who I come across who just say, I'm a writer. I just leave that to the proofreader. 
Mm, no. Mm. <laughs> no. You know, no. I, I didn't realise that I didn't have to worry about the grammar and punctuation. Yes, you do. If you aren't great at it, send it to someone first mm. to fix it before you send it to an agent for sure. Details one, are really important. And I think absolutely. that if you, and particularly because agents and editors, publishers, are looking for authors that they can work with. And if you send something in that shows that you haven't cared enough to even read through it and, you know, correct the capital letters or yeah. whatever it is that's not right, they are going to suggest that's going to suggest to them that details you don't care about details and you need to care about details if you're going to follow a book all the way from a manuscript all the way through the public the publishing process it's a long and involved journey and the details are really important yep absolutely that sounded like a lesson from above didn't I but I didn't mean it to I just think it's something that uh, you know people need to keep in mind yeah, no, that's so true. Um, and also a good one is avoid disingenuous self-deprecation in a covering letter, such as, I know you won't have the time for a lowly writer like me. And they say, we want to work with writers who value their work and are not embarrassed to say so. So, mm. I mean, that's a good one really, isn't it? Well, it is. But then on the other hand, you also don't want to be a special snowflake. And a special snowflake? Special. <laughs> oh, well... <laughs> that's a long there's a long story attached to that particular phrase okay. but special snowflakes feel that they are geniuses and yes, that yes. you know that uh, that agents and publishers will take one look at the first <laughs> paragraph of their novel and and recognize their towering lit- literary genius for what it is um so yes don't be you know silly and self-deprecating but on the other hand you know I am the next Hemingway will probably not get you very far either I would yes. think Yes, Mm -hmm. and I'm surprised at the number of things I see of this. Please don't attempt to fashion your own book jacket cover or marketing material. A team of professionals will address that when your work is published. I am seriously surprised the number of people who will send in their version of what the book cover would be. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe they're thinking that it'll help you envision their final vision or I, I, I don't know, but, you know, we get unsolicited manuscripts here at the Australian Writers' Centre and it is surprising. (laughs) Okay. I would not have actually thought of that. So that's very interesting. That just shows to me that uh, um, a potential writer possibly hasn't done any research whatsoever, particularly if they're sending manuscript submissions to you. I know. Exactly. That's a whole other story, I think. Exactly right. I have some stories, but I I won't tell them right now. No, Um. let's tell it. That's two stories we have to save for another day. Um, I would like to point out one that I think is really important because I do see this in a lot of writing forums that I am involved in. Mm. Don't confuse a synopsis with a blurb. Oh, yes. Uh, I think that's really, really important because, um, you know, it's important to recognise that a synopsis is an outline of the book's themes and and plot. That's what it is. Um, whereas a blurb is marketing. It's written by the publisher to attract readers to the book. You are not writing a blurb for a potential agent. You are writing a synopsis. They want to know what your book is about and how it goes. That's all they want in a synopsis, not and- exhilarating, exquisite and the next Hemingway. Yes. And the blurb, of course, is like what you read on the back cover of a book. Often. Yeah. So that's, that's right. very much the thing that the marketing material that gets you, hopefully gets you into the book or, or buying the book. Whereas yes. exactly the synopsis almost plots out the entire story. 
Oh, it does plot out the entire yeah. story um, mm. in, in a very succinct way and you can't leave dot, dot, dot at the end. No. Like you actually have to tell the agent what the end of the ending of the story is yeah. um, because they they just want to know in the synopsis if you've yeah. actually managed to create the correct structure of an actual novel. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So and the, my favourite is do not – so this is from Curtis Brown, you know, the agents, and my favourite is do not address a submission to Mr Curtis Brown. He died some time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that comes down to research, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr Curtis Brown. Oh, dear, bless him. All right. <clears throat> Let's move on to um, some news this week that the Oxford English Dictionary has added some words to the dictionary. And um, this was in Quartz, so in QZ.com, and it's called Scrum Diddly... I'll say it again. Scrum diddly yumptious to Oompa Loompa. Six of Roald Dahl's splendiferous words have been added to the Oxford English Dictionary, which is kind of cool. And it's kind of good because it's interesting because obviously words get made up often because they just become part of the vernacular and they get added to, you know, the dictionary if they reach a certain usage, level of usage. I'm not sure how many people actually say scrum diddly yumptious. Seriously. (laughs) Yes, but it's now in there. Yeah, and the words are Dalesque, as in something is, you know, like Dahl's work, Golden Mm -hmm. Ticket. You know, the golden yep, ticket. which makes Walker. perfect sense. Yes. Human bean, as in B-E-A-N, which is the mispronunciation of human being uttered by the giant in the BFG. Hmm. There's Oompa Loompa. We all know those Oompa Loompas in their, you know, spray tans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, scrum diddly umptious and witching hour. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Oh, so we can thank Shakespeare for this evocative phrase. Mm. Or witching witching time time first appeared in Hamlet. Mm. Witching hour. Interesting. I say witching hour a lot. Yeah, so do I. I I didn't even realise that that was a dull thing. Yes. There there you go. go. We learn something new every day. Yes, we do. So because of that, um, I thought we would – no, not because of that. It's not time for the word of the week yet. No, it's not, (laughs) Val. You're jumping ahead. Sorry. You're so excited. I know. I know, but you need to hold yourself back just for a moment. we do have a link from you, from your blog, a blog post from you. No, no, we've already we discussed not? that. It's, oh, that's we've just, already discussed they, we that. We have. That's just about my new oh, series. Yeah, that's just okay. a link to that for the show notes in case anybody would like to read further. Got it, got it, got it. So, right. yes, anyway, let's move on then to our giveaway this yes. week. I'm super, 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 super excited. Can you hear me clapping? I, I actually can hear you clapping, <laughs> yes. I can. We have five packs to give away and these are awesome and I love this and they are um, – uh, so Tamsin Janu is an awesome grad of the Australian Writers' Centre. She did a course with us a little while back and on the second day of her course, she came up with the idea of her book and that became Figgy and the World. Mm. And Figgy and the World, oh, that took the, you know, um, book world by storm, was shortlisted on so many different awards that I don't even have time to list them all. Mm. And she has It's actually called Figgy in the World, just quietly. Figgy in the world it is sorry, yes sorry, sorry. yes in the world it's okay and um 
Uh, she's now has followed up with a sequel called Figgy and the President. And um, we have five Figgy packs to give away where you can get Figgy in the World and Figgy and the President. Fantastic. And, yeah, so entries close on Monday the 26th of September and you can go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win if you want your child chance to get Figgy in the world and Figgy and the President by Tamsin Janu. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you want to be a freelance writer, our five-week course in magazine and newspaper writing, Stage 1, is the fastest way to get there. Step by step, you'll explore how to get story ideas, how to approach editors, how to research and structure your articles, plus interviewing skills, industry expectations and much more. You'll enjoy the convenience of learning online in just a couple of hours a week and have your very own tutor to answer all your questions. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash magazine. All right, are we ready for the word of the week, Al? I'm absolutely beside myself with readiness. <laughs> I could not be more ready. Pian. Hmm. Pian. Pian. Have you ever used pian? I have. Do you? I do. I'm Much? sorry, Val. Occasionally. No, yes. Okay. So anyway, P-A-E-A-N, pen. This comes from ancient Greece and refers to a song that gives thanks to a god. So it's not quite likely that we're, you know, singing such things these days. It's often used nowadays to describe like a form of rapturous or extravagant praise. So you might say her speech was a pen to the achievements of her boss, for example. Hmm. Pen. There you go. Pian. There's there your you word go. of the week. I do love an A-E-A. Don't you love a little bit of, oh, you know, yeah. mm. excellent vowel usage right in the middle of a word? That's excellent. Mm. I like it. Yes. So I'll be looking forward to seeing Pian in uh, blog posts across the internet. Yes, in your word of the week. Let us know if you um, have used it as the – if you've used the word of the week in one of your blog posts. We'd love to see it. We will. All right. Who is our writer in residence? Well, we're having a slight switch of tack this week, which I'm quite excited about. I had a fantastic conversation with Sarah Keenahan, and she is a science writer. And the reason that I went down this road is because um, I had actually had a couple of emails from people. Um, Science writing has and science communication in general is a bit of a growth area at the moment. I'm seeing a lot more interest in it. I think there's it's got possibly to do with science funding cuts might have something to do with it, but there's a real push for scientists to actually explain what they're doing and do it in such a way that, um, you know, people find it A, interesting and B, useful and C, informative and all of those different things. So science writing has become a sort of a, it's a niche area um, for, you know, for freelance writers. So Sarah and I had a very good conversation about the growth of the area. We talked about the kinds of things you might need if you were interested in, in, in getting into the area of science writing. And just as an aside, Sarah has a fantastic voice. So it was a very, very nice, easy, mellifluous, mellifluous and mellow um, kind of a conversation. 
Sarah Keenahan is a freelance science writer, editor and copywriter based in Adelaide, South Australia. Sarah has a Bachelor of Medical Science with honours, a PhD and a graduate diploma in sciences communication and established her writing business in early 2012 after 15 years working in immunology immunology research, I can't even say it, let alone do it, and science communication in Australia and Indonesia. Sarah works for many different clients across the academic, government and private sectors, including writing news stories and feature articles, creating copy for brochures, newsletters, websites, articles and annual reports, and running writing and social media workshops for scientists, a very, very busy lady. So thank you very much for your time today, Sarah, and welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Alison. All right, so let's start at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. You've gone off to uni and you've done your Bachelor of Medical Science with honours mm-hmm. and then you've mm-hmm. done a PhD, so you've obviously been very, very busy at uni. What mm-hmm. made you then decide to do a sciences communication degree? Just Sorry, um, diploma. It was, I guess it wasn't a decision I made at the end of my PhD really. I was always interested in writing, had loved it at high school even, and I was lucky enough that my supervisor for my honours year, who is um, Professor Sarah Robertson, also based here in Adelaide, she is a fantastic communicator and great at writing and talking about science, not just for scientists but for the general public as well. So she sort of got me thinking about it right back in my honours year. And at the end of honours I applied for a PhD um, scholarship but I also applied to study journalism because... I've become, you know, motivated enough to really think seriously about writing. And I was offered both um, and Sarah advised me, why don't you take the scholarship because writing is something you can always go back to but a PhD scholarship doesn't come up every day. So I thought, right, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And sh- um, But then halfway through the PhD I thought, ooh, maybe I could do a bit of writing at the same time. So I enrolled in the grad, grad diploma um, to do bits and pieces of along the way. And it's actually something that took me over 10 years to finish. So I kept it bumbling along during my PhD and then had a break and then picked it up again and finally finished it 10 years later. So I, um, yeah, it was something that I nurtured along the way while I was getting my qualifications in research science. And did Mm. you, did you see it? Like, I I guess from my perspective as someone who, um, Like I I feel like I've seen in the last couple of years a Mm. a bit of a rise Mm -hmm. of both interest and people who are actually involved in this. There seems to be a bit of a push in the sense that, you know, science I guess is – okay, so first of all, there's a lot of um, activity in trying to get kids involved in STEM Mm -hmm. subjects at school Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then there's this idea of – um, the fact that science has often been seen as this sort of opaque area that nobody understands yeah. is there seems to be a bit of a push towards mm. let's get people involved and actually show them what's happening. Do you do you see that? Is or am I just imagining that because I'm on Twitter? No, no we yeah <laughs> could be that we see that within the science world as well. Right. Um, I guess it's a combination of several things. Uh, funding for science on the whole is. Uh, on the decline. Yeah. So budgets for science grants and other activities relating to science have not been increasing where other budgets have been, for example, defence or right. other things like that. Um, so scientists are a bit anxious that perhaps we're going to lose a critical skill set in our young people. So they there's that um, pushing it along. There's also 
you know, major global global issues which are fundamentally founded in science, mm. of course, climate mm. change being one of them, um, vaccination, dealing with diseases, managing cancer, talking about obesity. You know, it's a massive problem in Australia and other Western countries, obesity, and then conversely you've got nutritional problems and infectious disease problems in the developing world still. Mm. So all these all these problems need some fundamental understanding of science and a research capability to tackle them. So there's that sort of pushing it along, I guess. But also, you know, technology and the technology is changing at a huge, hugely fast rate. And um, we need kids and adults to know basics of uh, science, technology, engineering, maths, to be able to wrap their heads and to be able to apply um, advances in technology in all sorts of careers, not just in research. You know, I read an article the other day about te- the role of technology in fashion. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a fashion designer these days, it's not just good enough to be able to cut cloth. You have to think about um, materials that are waterproof and involve nanotechnology and um can be manufactured in new and innovative ways. All the, yeah, just science finds its way into all sorts of areas that's going to be critical for our future, really. So is is being a specialist science writer a relatively new thing or is it just that um, there's Mm. a, there's sort of like a group now rather than, whereas there might have just been that one person on the paper, you know, years ago. Yeah, there used to be. Most um, major newspapers used to have a specialist science writer and now I believe there's only two or three in the whole of Australia, for example, and very few left in the States as well. Mm. So I guess, uh, and tucked within a lot of research institutions are specialist writers and uh, so the major universities and CSIRO and other institutions used to have specialist writers, but I guess similar to other areas of writing, more and more large institutions are choosing not to employ someone full-time. So there's, there's quite a bit of freelance writing work out there um, once you sort of tap into it and know know where it is. Mm. Do, do you actually need a degree in science to do what you do or is a, a passion for the subject matter enough? Yeah, I don't believe you necessarily need a science degree. Um, I know a number of fantastic science writers and Robin Williams on the ABC, he doesn't have specialist training in science. He's just driven by his absolute passion for it and now he's highly experienced of course so he's developed his own uh, training in a way but Mm. yeah and in fact sometimes in-depth knowledge of science can get in the way of great communication so Mm. if you know the nitty-gritty and are used to talking to a highly specialist audience that's not going to really help you get it across to ordinary people so sometimes it gets in the way to know too much. Right so you still have to be in a position where you ask um the, right the basic ones. questions yep. as much as so that you can then sort of like nut it right down for your audience. Yeah. Is yep. that, do you think that's difficult sometimes for people like to bear in mind the audience that they're writing for as opposed to, as you say, like if you're used to going mm. to conferences and having these conversations right. with other people who know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, do you have a, is there a difficulty in, well, how much information do I actually have to put into this that, you know, or, and how yeah. much can I assume? Yeah, I think audience awareness is one of the most important bits of science writing, I would say. So, um, yeah, and you can put in detail, for example, if you picture, a, imagine a news story online, 
the detail can be there, be there and available to people who are interested in the detail, but it can't be upfront because you're going to scare people away. So it needs to be interesting and relevant and suck people in early and then you can link to more detailed information or have it further down in the piece as well if there's room. Okay. Yeah. So the process of writing a science feature then, I, th- I guess the basics would be the same as writing any feature. You need an angle, so, you need a hook, you yep. need to get the right tone. Um, yes. I'm assuming then that your sources must also be impeccable? Yes. Um, yep. Yeah, you, 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 over the course of a career, you work out who's fantastic at who gets the, the need to talk at a at a level that matches the audience um, that the arg- that the article is targeted at. So, um, but you know, sometimes sometimes if I'm doing a particular story and I talk to a specialist, we'll talk for thirty minutes just to get that golden quote. So a lot of what they say, I understand, and it helps inform me in writing the article and to look for other places for information. And then the only one sentence that they say is actually appropriate to be in the article so um so there's a lot of backstory that doesn't actually make it onto the page but you still need to know it to actually be able to I remember writing something reading uh, there was a quote from someone that you um if you can't explain something simply then you don't Mm. understand it well enough that's right Uh, would you agree is that sort of a lot of what you bring to the page with science yeah and I think often that's applied in a teaching sense as well you if you're going to teach something, you really have to know it inside out and back to front. And it's similar to speaking to a non-general audience. You, the, the, the ability to break it down into something that most people can relate to is a really special skill and not everyone has it. And many scientists don't have it or they don't care. You know, mm. they're, they're so good at what they do. They can put their head down and do the research. And I think that's fine. They don't mm. have to speak to the whole world if they're good at science let them be good at science and then um there are other scientists who are good at speaking to the general public or there are science writers who can help yeah help people get it out there Mm. okay so is it a competitive field like the field that you're in um you know where does Mm. the work mostly come from you said that you know there's quite a lot of freelance work out there once Mm. you know where to look for it Um, where do you where does it come from um a number of different ways i I'm on a number of email lists, you know, um, CSIRO send out regular emails saying, okay, we're putting this together. If you'd like to submit a pitch, please do so by a particular date. Um, a lot of my work is repeat work from existing clients mm-hmm. um, and that built up through contacts, um, contacts I made throughout my research career really. So mm. I guess Adelaide works quite well in that way. It's not a huge town, just over a million people, so you can be known amongst the university sector in particular. Mm. Um, so people know that I'm around um, and I do repeat work for clients like that. But also word of mouth, um, I'll get random phone calls. Um, you know, Joe Boggs recommended you. We're, we're thinking about doing this. Can you help? That kind of thing. Excellent. So, yeah. So I guess it's just it's kind of time in the game as much as anything. Um, That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. To build it yeah. up. Build up um, yeah. Is it competitive? Like, is it a is it a competitive? Um, I mean, are there a lot of you competing for the work, or is it you know? Uh, I think more so in Sydney, and perhaps Canberra. There's a bit of competition. Um, yeah, I don't feel like I'm. No, I don't think there are many of us out there really, particularly right. in Adelaide. Um, so I'm, I feel like I have plenty of work on and I'm not 
desperately scrabbling around and trying to create quotes that sit underneath other people. It's man, it's definitely manageable and I, it's enough to keep me ticking over. So, yeah. Which is an excellent position for any freelance writer to be That's in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think are the biggest challenges of specialising in an area like this? Ah, for someone hoping to start off? Yeah, or? yeah. Um, I think building up the networks is the critical thing. Um so, I th- yeah, starting off, you need to work out a way to get yourself known, I think, is the most important thing if you're not already known. And I would suggest for anyone considering a transition to a science writing um, career that they take it slowly. It's not something that's going to you're not going to hit the ground running immediately. You need to sort of start start building a few clients whilst you're doing maybe you're in a research job already or in another kind of writing job, just start taking on one or two clients and then build it slowly and make sure you show your face physically and through social media and where, all the places that clients might be. I was going to say, well, that was going to be my next question. Like when mm-hmm. you say show your face, are there groups or do you, do you need to go to conferences or mm-hmm. what kind of, you know, how would you kind of get yourself out there if you were starting yeah, no. again? Well, there's a there's a Australian Science Communicators is a professional society that exists across Australia, and I'm on the South Australian committee for that. Hmm. So they hold a conference semi regularly, um, every two years or so nationally. Um, but also in every city across Australia and the world, even there are regular science events that you can um, get yourself along to. Universities run regular lecture uh, series. Um, for the general public, the museums run um, regular events. Um, there are professional groups. There are networking groups associated with business um, associations. So if you you know you can just start to go along to free stuff like that and um, take a business card and have science writer on that card and start handing it out. And yeah, that I would um, definitely recommend that sort of approach just to get your name out there. Hmm. Um, and blogging, of course. Of course. We'll talk, yes. we'll talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get to that. Um, so you're, you're actually producing articles like uh, just looking at your bio from academic, government and commercial clients, so quite different um, yeah. writing styles. What, what do you see as the main differences in style with those three? Um, online news articles, obviously, they need – they need to compete with other news. Mm-hmm. So they need to be good enough and interesting enough for someone who might be reading out Kim, about Kim Kardashian one moment and new genes and then the next minute they click onto, or they're scrolling through their phone and see a sciencey sort of headline. So um, that's what most scientists are scared of. It's getting into that popular culture type mm. uh, environment. But um, I quite enjoy tackling those issues and how can I make this so good that the average person is going to read it, want to read it on their phone or mm. on the It's train. a challenge, isn't it, yeah, when you definitely. are competing with Kim and Jeans? Very yes, difficult. That's right. mm. So great headlines, killer photos, really great opening sentence, something tantalising um, to the hook to get yeah. people interested is the key to the, science, to the um, news and perhaps even feature stories. Mm-hmm. But then when you're writing specialist science, for example, for a grant application or in a annual report, the audience, of course, is completely different. 
but it doesn't mean the writing can't be great. It's still, you know, if I speak to scientists about grant writing, when scientists must um, obtain funding for their research by writing grants and it's a a review process often involving their peers. So it's a crazy time of year. People doing peer review are stuck in a room. They've got a pile of grants in front of them and they may not like to admit it, but really the only ones they're going to read are the ones that are beautifully written compellingly in a compelling in a narrative sense it's got to tell a fantastic story to hold their attention right to the end of this very detailed grant so the writing is still critical that the writing is excellent Mm. even though it can't be poppy and fun so much but it's still got to be structured and lead them on a journey that they think oh my god we've got to fund this research Mm. there's no option here this looks amazing um yeah so again Keeping the audience front of mind is absolutely critical, critical whether you're working in the broad news environment or within an academic environment. And do you enjoy them both equally? I do actually, yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's, uh, that's what I, one of the best things about it is that it's so mixed. So I'm not churning out formulaic, you know, 400 words, news story after news story. Mm. I do that for a day and then the next day I'm tackling a bigger project. And Yeah, I've heard you speak in the past, Alison, about how you mix up, you, you've got your long-term writing projects for you in the, in the case of yourself, that's fiction writing. Yeah. And you keep that ticking over and then you slot in short jobs yeah. in, the, you know, in the 30 minutes here and an hour there and it's similar for me, I guess. Excellent. Mm. All right, and I see that you also run writing and social media workshops for scientists. Is that a relatively kind of new area? Is it becoming more important for them to communicate well, you know, by them, you know, for is. themselves? Yeah. Yeah. Um, why is, is that because of the funding drying up or is it, yes. I mean, do you have to kind of be a bit of a celeb in, in the science world to yeah, make it happen? That's an interesting topic. It's the old-fashioned world of science um, was a bit wary of the celebrity scientists because mm. it should be good enough that your science is excellent. You shouldn't have to promote yourself. You shouldn't have to, you know, go out and flog your wares to the whole world. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear any type of writer saying this, yes. <laughs> but um, in reality, being known a little bit is a good thing. Um, if you're competing, you know, only about 10% of grants within the health and medical research um, arena actually get up. So whatever you can do to get that little bit edge over the next person is good as long as you're not over-pitching yourself. But also um, I think scientists, there are a lot of scientists on Twitter and social media already and those who are and who have been on there for a while realise that the more they hone their skills in writing for a general audience, the better they're going to be in writing a grant, in speaking to general audiences, in convincing people that what they do is important. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's that old the more you do it, the better you'll be type approach. And thinking about, again, the audience. Who are you talking to when you're on Twitter? Who are you talking to when you're blogging? Um, And that skill is something that more and more scientists realise is important. Mm. Mm. I can see why some of them are sad about it in the sense that, you know, mm. when you're doing important work, the fact yes. that you've got to tweet to get your grant application over the line, I can 
I yeah. can see why that would be kind of discouraging. Yeah. Um, but you also, you blogged yourself, um, mm-hmm. and have you chosen to do that as a way of, of just, of, you know, building your profile as a science mm-hmm. writer? Like is the platform is clearly important in this area. Yeah. It, for me, it was a really critical step or tool for developing my ability to write about topical stuff quickly in an appropriate way for general audiences um and I used it when I first decided I would take the leap into being a freelance science writer I launched my blog science for life 365 and decided that I'd blog every day for a year from one national science week of 2012 to the national science week of 2013 um mainly because once I say I'm going to do something in public I get I have this absolute (laughs) I'm with you. Uh, Why do you think I do write a book with Al? It's all about accountability. Yeah. I'm so anal that I have to, once I (laughs) announce it, I have to to do it. So I I did that and it was just fantastic in so many ways. Not only was I making sure I was writing every single day, even when I didn't have clients on board every single day during those early times, but also it taught me so much about blogging, how to use a blog as a marketing tool, how to, you know, how to build an audience using Twitter and Facebook. Um, and people then started coming along for the journey with me and by the end of the year it was I was celebrating with a whole community of people who'd been watching along every day. Um, and I think it also I made sure I've, I've had science in every post of every day but I also talked about things like kids and nutrition and exercise and just how how I used and applied science in my daily life and I, I hope people found it um, interesting from the point of view that you know science doesn't just exist in the lab it's relevant every day and the way I've trained it as a scientist helps me manage other parts of my life as well. Mm. Mm. Interesting. And of course, we would never have actually connected were you not blogging and on Twitter and things like that. Right. I wouldn't have known that science writing was even a thing, except yeah. for the fact that I found you and your um, little posse of science writers there on, on Twitter. So mm. it is a, it's one of those things where you start talking to people that you would mm. possibly never That's right. find in any yeah. other way. So I'm yeah. all for it, as you know. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's wrap up with our famous top three tips. Uh, to finish up with. So what are your top three tips for anyone wanting to be a science writer, Sarah? Um, I guess I'll start with, again, reiterating the importance of your network. So you're only really as good as the network you build around you in terms of real-life people that you know and your social media network. So if you're wanting to start out as a science writer, I'd say go to events live tweet from the events, learn how to use hashtags appropriately to hook up with the right people, find out who's import, who, who matters in, in science writing in the place you live or the kind of work you want to do and, you know, ping them regularly. Um, I did so much live tweeting from events early on that my Twitter handle is at Science Sarah, so people would meet me and go, oh, you're Science Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> That's you, the annoying one who tweets constantly. Tweets like a maniac <laughs> from public lectures or whatever. So that, yeah, your network, I would say. 
Um, secondly, I would say um, if you're a science writer, science is your special area, but primarily you are a writer, so you must mm. be good at it. Mm. So um, do courses. I've done that initial grad dip in science communication course, but I also did the copywriting course through um, you guys. Oh, right. Yeah. Excellent. Loved it. Fantastic. Um, so train yourself how to write and then write a lot in lots of different ways. So long form, short form, blogging, social media, uh, review books. I review books for the local paper here. Hmm. Um so the more you do, the better you'll get, the faster and more efficient you'll be, and that'll work in a business sense, of course, in your favour. Um, and my third tip is that even though you're a science writer, you, you can't just know about science. You must um, see that science sits within a broader culture. So as I was talking about earlier with the Kim Kardashian, you science has to compete within other parts of life um you have to know what people are watching on tv you have to know what kind of audiences you might be trying to tap into so don't shut yourself off into a little science bubble you have to read broadly use facebook watch crap tv (laughs) you heard it here first people (laughs) watch crap tv (laughs) you have to know you have to know people you have to you have to tap into broader culture if you want science to work in a broader sense so Fantastic. Know your audiences. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. So we've been listening to Sarah Keenahan. You'll find her at sciencesarah.wordpress.com. Um, so go over and have a look at some of her work and what she's been up to. And um, you will also, of course, find her on Twitter because she's there a lot as <laughs> at Science Sarah. Thank you very much for your time today, Sarah. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Alison. That was great, Al. Yeah, it's an interesting, um, it was an interesting conversation and it's like anything, you know, we've talked before about how you, um, you go into certain interviews and you think you know what you're going to get mm. and then the conversations open up and I think that anyone who, who has a good listen to that will hear tips for freelance writers, tips for people who are trying to branch out from a day job into a niche kind of writing style. I think that there's a lot in there um, for people to, to think about and I think with the push in school at the moment in education of, you know, STEM subjects and pushing girls particularly into STEM subjects. Mm. I think science is going to be an area of growth for quite some years to come. Yes. And what's interesting, I'm interested in your um, uh, opinion on this, is that Sarah's obviously decided to niche into the area of science and there are some people who, who like to niche, you know, into arts or where whatever. Business. Yeah, business. Do you think that writers should niche? Freelance writers, obviously. Um, I don't. Well, it's one of those situations where I think if you have a passion for a subject or you have, as Sarah does, have, you know, university um, qualifications in that area, um, then it's a natural fit. And it's, you know, and as she points out, you know, networking is so important in this area. And so if you're someone who's already immersed in the industry, then niching from that perspective makes a lot of sense. I think um, as time goes by and we see magazines in particular going more and more towards a niche area then it might be something that um that freelance writers could look at like I 
I have always been a general freelance writer, but I have also had a lot of experience in finance writing, particularly personal finance writing. Mm. And that mostly came about because I was writing a lot of stories at one stage for 9MSN uh, money website. And so, of course, I I just found myself with a million contacts. And then suddenly Mm. I also had a portfolio full of stories in that area. And so people started to seek me out knowing that I'd written on that subject before. So from that perspective, having some form of specialist niche can be very, very useful. Do you think it's more lucrative? Um, I think from a regular work perspective, yes, it is. Mm. Mm. You know, from a regular, as long as your niche is not so incredibly, you know, as long as you're not, you haven't niched yourself into writing about, I don't know, insects or bottle tops (laughs) or, you know, whatever. Um, As long as you've you've chosen a subject and not necessarily a tiny topic, then yes, I think it can be because you do, you do get, you know, as I said, um, editors seeking you out and you find yourself getting regular work from sections. Yeah, you um, become the go-to person because you you have expertise in that area, yeah. Well, not only expertise but you've proven yourself to be someone who will regularly and reliably um, produce quality writing on that particular subject which makes a big difference too. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Great. Okay, so Mm. how about we move on to our platform building tips. This week. Well, this is one that I want to ask you about because, you okay. know, um, I popped this up onto the um, Australian Writers' Centre Facebook page as part of my role as social media chicky. Have we, have we given me a better title yet? Or you is can that, make up your own title. I don't know what it would be though, so we'll stick with social media chicky <laughs> for now. Um, now, it was an interesting post. Tara Lazar is a mm-hmm. children's book author from the United States and she writes a blog called Tara Lazar, mm-hmm. uh, Writing for Kids While Raising Them. And she often has interesting uh, posts about different aspects of publishing. She popped up a post called The One Marketing Move That Authors Get Wrong. And I would be interested in your thoughts on this Mm -hmm. um, because her perspective is that uh, basically if you start your blog post by saying, let's say, for example, that I am announcing my new series and I start my blog post with, I am thrilled to be announcing my new series, Mm -hmm. then according to Tara, I've got it all wrong because Mm -hmm. I've made it all about me and not about the reader. And Mm -hmm. I find that quite interesting because I did actually receive an email a couple of years ago um, from a digital marketing expert telling me that I was getting my newsletter all wrong because it was all about me and there wasn't enough in it for the readers. So as the author of uh, Power Stories, Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. Because it was one of the commenters on the Facebook page was outraged and felt that Tara hadn't said, well, this is what you do instead. So <laughs> yeah, I'm that's really helpful. In, yeah. So I'm interested in what you what your thoughts are. I think that Tara is being a bit reductionist here and is um, not looking at a bigger picture. I okay. think that the bigger thing is it depends on the purpose of your blog, because there are some authors who have blogs who are all about them, who are just chronicling their life. You know, mm. that's the reason why they blog because they want to just express what's going on in their life. However, there are some authors who use their blog as a way to write about writing. Mm. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. to help other writers navigate the world of writing. And likewise, there are some other blogs who authors who have blogs who are about a particular subject that might be about gardening or whatever their area of expertise is. So Mm. if you are an author who is writing a personal blog, be thrilled. If you're really thrilled, 
Be thrilled. I don't. I have no problem with that. If I'm visiting your blog because I want to see a snapshot of your life, I'm 100% fine. If you're genuinely going, oh my god, oh my god, come on, you know, my book is here, and you're genuinely excited about it. If, however, you were writing a um, a, a blog about gardening, well, it would make sense if your book was about gardening, but it was your book about something else. Then it doesn't make sense. So it needs to fit in with the context of the actual blog. And I think that what she's got wrong is that she's you know, made this broad brush statement for all authors. But whereas in some cases, it could be the most wonderful and authentic post in the world to 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 talk about the fact that you're thrilled that you're, you know, writing your book or you've got a contract for a book or your book has arrived or book has been released or whatever. Um, if, however, you are trying to serve your readers in a different way other than provide a snapshot on your life, because that is a way of serving your readers. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to serve uh, your reader in a different way, you know, through education, or, or information or, or whatever, then you yes, you need to serve them and perhaps you could rephrase it or write it in a different way and instead give some tips and mention that they are from your newly released book. So right. it's it she she can't just say it's, you know, the one marketing move that authors get wrong because not all authors are doing the same thing. That's my opinion. That's interesting. And it's an interesting opinion as always, Valerie. I mean, she says that, you know, writing a sales pitch from your point of view um, is a waste of time that you have to make your audience thrilled and give them something to get excited about. But then as our commentator on the Facebook page points out, she doesn't actually tell you what you should say, what you should say instead. Yeah, not useful. No, not particularly useful. Um, I, 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 pers- I mean, I, I'm constantly thrilled by, my, by myself. Yes. <laughs> well, I am, you know, I put a, you know, you get a contract, like it's of thrilling. Course. And what I have found is, I guess, after eight years of being along the ride for me, a lot of the people in my audience are also thrilled for me, which is um, such mm. a great feeling. Mm. Um, but, you know, I also have, I guess, um, that my blog serves several purposes and I have a lot of information and a advice and all of those things on my uh, blog and in my newsletter and stuff as well. So I guess um, my approach would be the two-pronged approach. Like I, yes, I'm thrilled and then there'll be something in there as well, which is like, this is how you might be able to do it too. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Just a thought. Yeah, for sure. I mean, mm. yeah, it, 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 again, it depends. And I think mm. that, you know, Tara needs to realise that all, there's all sorts of different authors out there with all sorts of different author blogs. Mm. But it is certainly very important to make sure that you're connecting with your audience in the right way. Mm. And one of the ways that we show people how to do that is through your course, uh, How to Build Your Author Platform. Mm. And if you're interested in finding out more on Alison's awesome tips on how to build your author platform, then just go to writerscenter.com.au slash platform. Now, we're almost at the end of this week's episode. Al, what are you doing in this coming week? Oh, well, um, if you, uh, if anyone happens to read that link that we discussed earlier um, mm. where I outline uh, the, my new contract but also discussing the things that I will be doing in the future, um, I'm really busy. <laughs> I, have a, I have a structural edit, a copy edit, a new book to write, some mm. screenwriting books to read and all manner of things going on. So I'm, um, I'm just trying to make myself a program and just get on with it, basically, all the different things that need to be done. So what are you going to do? Do you actually say block out time and to say, okay, on Wednesday I'm going to do uh, the structural edit, on Thursday I'm going to 
do X and on Friday I'm going to do Y? How, how do you yeah. actually fit so it all I, in? Well, I focus on – so at the moment um, I'm waiting for the structural edit to land and it will probably hit me about Friday. Um, but I'm working at the moment on some tweaks on a copy edit. So I ske- I've scheduled in tomorrow to do mm. that because there's not too much to do. Um, the structural edit will take me um, – at least a week, if not longer. And it will be the main focus of what I do during that particular time. And then I'm also like scheduling in time each day to do other smaller tasks as well, just so I can keep those things ticking over. Mm. Um, I have scheduled in the writing of book two in my new series to begin in November Mm. because I um, will use the impetus of NaNoWriMo to help me get that underway. Um, So I've scheduled that in. I have a meeting that I have to attend also in November, which will start which will be the trigger point for a new project. Um, And once I have a better idea of the timeline of that, I will schedule that in as well. Um, And, yeah, and so it's just a matter – and, of course, I have school holidays that I need to blank out for most, you know, useful purposes because they're just, you know, a Um, write-off. So, you know, those are the times when I'll do a lot of admin and a lot of – I can proofread and do those kinds of things in holidays, but I can't do actual – it's very hard to do a structural edit in a holiday. So I need to get that done before the holidays begin. So, yeah, so it's it's a matter of looking at what you have coming up and then making sure that you keep time aside each day for the smaller tasks to kind of keep everything rolling Mm. um, and block out space for those bigger ones that need thought. I'm exhausted just talking to you. Really? I'm well. I, I think I think I'm actually in denial. Um, <laughs> even though I wrote the list this morning, I wrote the list and I thought, no, that's not possible. <laughs> and so I've just put the whole thing to the back of my mind, and I will think about it later. But yeah, yeah it's you really when you hit with a wave of stuff like that, you have to break it down mm. into actual manageable hourly sort of tasks. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And you, Val, what will you be breaking your week oh, down into? What? I was actually looking at this incredibly jaunting week because um, a, a lot of things went off the rails last week because I had food poisoning for the entire week. I know, mm. too much information. but Way too much. Um, but it uh, put me behind and I have a major project that I've started with a big corporation and – I was kind of thinking, oh, my God, when am I going to have the time to do that? But fortunately, one of the things I did on the plane when I went to Brisbane was I really forced myself to think it through and map it all out so that I essentially have the structure for oh, the – Oh, well done. Yeah, I'm really – I was so happy getting off the plane when I did that. So now I don't feel as daunted because I know it, I just need to fill it in now because I've really worked out how to – the order in which it should go and stuff like that. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'll be doing that this week, focusing mm. on that to get that done by the end of the week. Hmm. There you go. So, um, yeah, thank you for listening, everyone. And we yes, look thank forward you to... as we witter on towards the end of our podcast. <laughs> blah blah We look forward to chatting to you again next week and we hope you find the podcast helpful. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>